Man, how encouraging is it to know that our sins are forgiven? Isn't that good news this morning? As we're singing these songs, and thank you to our band for encouraging us and leading us this morning. But just to be reminded of just um, that we're made clean through Christ. That is just such good news for us this morning. And so, um, in case you know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church. And uh, really excited to be here this morning. Um, So I surrendered the ministry almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago, I felt like God was moving me to to vocational ministry. And um, in almost 20 years, as my hairline can show, um, I've, you know, been to a few conferences and, you know, you read a few books and there is this phrase, you may have heard it yourself, that the local church is the hope of the world. I've heard it many times in a book or preached about and all these things. And I believe that phrase, that the local church is the hope of the world. That in the midst of all the brokenness and the darkness, the local church is there to be this light, to be this hope, right? Um, but we have to really define uh, what the word says about the local church. Because we have drifted away, true, of what the local church actually is in our day and age. Um, so last week, Lou talked about the local church being a family. How we're the household of God. This picture of brotherly and sisterly love for each other. We're adopted sons and daughters of the king, which is true, which is right, which is beautiful. The church is not just a 501c3, which I think you know this. We know it mentally in our heads, but we don't actually live this way. It's not a 501c3 that does some nice things for our city and our community. The church is not simply a worship service where a paid minister gives you religious goods and services, where you as an individual, you come in, you take this kind of nugget of truth, you're encouraged for the week, and you go back out. That is not the church. And, and the church is not just its programs either. It's not just a collection of kids' events and youth events and small group gatherings. We have friends with each other. That is not what the church is. The church of Jesus Christ is this Holy Spirit empowered. It is so funny how every song today is about the Holy Spirit empowering almost the church to do something. The church is this Holy Spirit empowered body of Christ that lives for the common good of each other and the world. We're a spirit empowered body that lives for the common good of the world. But here is our issue, if we're honest. And we've heard this idea, if you've been in church at all, you've heard that we're the body of Christ, correct? You're like a toe or an ear or an eye or an arm or elbow, all those things, right? You've heard that before. But the problem is our experience. Because we come in and we see a few things. What we see really is individuals consuming. And maybe that's us in the room today. Individuals come in and basically consume what they need from the church. Many times... We come in because we want our kids to know good values, right? We'll take them to the church. They'll give you good values, yes ma'am, no ma'am, all these things. John three sixteen. So we want to consume that good for our family. We want to have a better marriage. So we'll go to a marriage conference to consume and have a better marriage. Or, man, our finances are a mess. So I'm going to go to this class on how to budget and learn how to have good finances, right? 
And what that is, that is not the church. That is you consuming goods and services. And, and then you come and you go. We come and we go. So we have that kind of level. And the other level is this right here. That we have people that commit, right? That we're a part of this thing. But then people are a part of the church, right? I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. People are in this thing. And what happens is you're here for three, six months, a year, two years, and you see that people are full of sin. And their sin sometimes affects you. And then what happens when that sin affects you, there is disunity. There's gossip, there's slander, and ultimately there's leaving. There's a break in the family. That is our idea of the body of Christ. And to put one word to it, many times we see a lifeless body. We see a lifeless body. Not a spirit-empowered body, but a lifeless body. Like, think about this morning for a moment. We are singing these songs that we were saved from hell forever. How in the world can the church of Jesus Christ not lose their minds weeping with joy because Jesus saved them? Now, I'm a crier, so I can't tell you to cry all the time like I do. But there should be some level of spirit-empowered emotion at the good news of Jesus, correct? But many times, we're simply a lifeless body. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul's going to kind of talk to us about what a body looks like. So to give you some kind of background on this passage, the church in Corinth, uh, we see in Acts 18, Paul comes to this area. And he does what he always does. He goes to synagogues and he preaches to the Jews. And the Jews want nothing to do with Paul in Corinth. So Paul dusts off his sandals and takes off and goes to the Gentiles, goes to pagans. And there they receive the good news. And many are converted, but they were pagans. And so these pagans are converted and they have this church. And the church in Corinth, this letter right here is like, you know, it's a rough letter. But in this, this chapter right here in this church, they put their faith in Jesus these people were then filled with the Holy Spirit and started to manifest spiritual gifts in this church. And what happened in this church is the, 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 the big sign gifts. If you're, new to the, if you're new to Christianity, we're not going to go there today, but there's these things called speaking tongues, uh, prophecy, these really big showy sign gifts that people got these gifts and it became all about these gifts these big gifts that everybody could see. And it caused disunity, it caused problems. So Paul writes this letter, writes this chapter, actually kind of 12 through 14, to respond to this thing in the church. But we see here in, in chapter 12, in this picture of how to use these gifts, we get this picture of the body of Christ. And now every person that's put their faith in Jesus is a part of the body of Christ. And how we should live as the body of Christ. So let's read this, first one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What word in those 11 verses jumped out? jumps out? Spirit. Like you cannot get away. The Apostle Paul is drawing their attention to the idea that's the Spirit that's doing all of this. Because the body is brought to life by the Spirit. So we think about sometimes seeing a lifeless body. And let me tell you, we talk about the church in this theoretical way. But I want to ask you today, what role do you play? Do you play? Do I play in that lifeless body? What things do you consume? What habits do you have? What sins in your life? What things, where is there blood on your hands? The body is brought to life by the Spirit. So you see here in verses 1 through 3, Paul's reminding them of where they were. You were pagans that were led by mute idols. Idols who could not speak anything to you. Idols who had no power in your life. That was your former way of life. And many times in the church, we get caught up living under mute idols, living for mute idols, consumerism, religion, all these things that have no power in our lives become the defining aspect of our churches. But Paul's reminding them, you have new life. You have new power. You have a new perspective because you're saying Jesus is Lord. If the Holy Spirit's inside of you, that's what empowers you to say the words, Jesus is Lord. Now, some of us here today, we might feel far away from God. Don't raise your hands. Don't don't do that to yourself. But you might feel far away from God, and you say, it's been months or years since I felt the presence of God or or, or heard from God or, or really walked with God. But I will say this. If there is still this longing for you for that presence of God, that's an example of the presence of God in your life. Because you don't have some great ability to go and find God. You crying out for Jesus as Lord is a picture of the Spirit at work in your life. Even if you feel very, very far away, that voice of God is still present. And so I want to encourage you today to do this right here, to seek the Spirit. To seek the Spirit. If we're to be a people, if you're to be a Christian, if we're to be a church that's not a lifeless body, but an empowered body, we must seek the Spirit because the Spirit gives life to this body. It gives life to this body. Think about Jesus in John 20, right? He appears to the disciples and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. It's this picture for us, right? That as we are this dead to ourselves, right? That the breath, the Holy Spirit, then brings us life. But if we don't pursue the things of God, pursue the Holy Spirit, 
we get weak and we live in this lifeless state. So we must ask the question, how are we today empowered by the Holy Spirit? If we're to be this empowered body, how are we day-to-day empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's nothing new here. First thing, meditate. Meditate on the Word. We say this probably every single week, but it's because the Word of God, of God is the bread of life. We are meditating on a thousand things throughout the week. A thousand things. We must learn to discipline our minds to be renewed by God's word. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to stop right there. Today, we are singing these songs about God to God. And this might just be me. My soul literally, as I'm singing, and my kids are driving Tracy crazy just now, I just, my soul was lifted because my mind was meditated on the things of God. One of the purposes of our gathering is for our minds to be renewed, our perspective to be put back towards the things of God because all week long we have all these voices coming at us. So we had students go to youth camp uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, youth camp and all its good and its bad qualities. The greatest thing about youth camp is there is one week where teenagers have the distractions removed from them. And it's one week to simply focus on who God is. And that's a gift to remove all distractions and to simply focus on who God is. We must meditate on his word. Second, we must have faith. We must have faith. Galatians 3 says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's through the Spirit Ephesians 2 says, not our own faith, the Spirit gives us faith, right? To believe in Him. But as we believe in Him, we are filled with the Spirit. I cannot explain that. That's how God transforms our lives. And so what what we're called to do is simply believe in the promises of God and the works of Jesus. What we're saying when when we put faith in Jesus, we're not putting faith in ourselves, correct? So we meditate on God's Word. We put faith in God's promises And three, we decrease, so he increases. John 3, verse 25. It's about John the Baptist. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, that is Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Verse 30, he must increase but I must decrease. It's this great picture in Matthew 5, 3. 
Jesus' first statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in the spirit receive the Holy Spirit. So the past few weeks, I've had the, the blessing of basically being <laughs> somebody's deathbed and a prison the past few weeks. Um, and as a minister, you see a few things on deathbeds and prisons when someone's caught in their sin where those are all just terribly sad things. But I will tell you, they're also really joyful things. I've had people in our church who've been caught in sin, and they come and they tell me about being caught in sin or confessing their sin, and I feel bad. I'm like, oh, I am so glad you're caught in your sin right now, which is terrible to say. Don't ever say that to somebody. Um, but I'm glad because when you're caught in your sin or you're on your deathbed, or you're in prison, you are at the end of yourself. At that moment, you are poor in spirit. And if there is one thing in 2019, we have everything in the world at our disposal, including theology and scripture and all this stuff, and we have bank accounts and 401ks and schools and the suburbs, all of those things, all of that is flying in the face of poor in spirit. Because we are rich in everything else. We have to learn in some way through the power of the Holy Spirit, begging him to move. We have to come to the end of ourselves every single day and say, we cannot do this. And at that moment, being poor in spirit, as we decrease and he increases, is when we are made alive, right? It's we have to, we have to die to find life, is what Christ says, Correct? We have to learn, in a sense, to every single day find a way to decrease and die and then be remade and reborn through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we are, as we are empowered by the Spirit of God, as we are changed, and as we come together as a people of God, as the body of Christ, what are the markers what are the signs that you see an empowered body and not a lifeless body? Look at verse 7 in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. And we see all these gifts the Spirit empowers. So the first marker we see of this empowered body is the empowered body. The empowered body is moved to action, right? The empowered body moves to doing something. When we're full of the Spirit of God, we can't just sit around. We don't just sit and we consume. We are moved to action and to contribute. It's John 15, right? Verse 4, abide in me. So we abide in Christ as we decrease and he increases in our lives. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Listen, the lifeless body cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The empowered, the spirit empowers the body to action. It empowers the body to action. 
So what happens is life and movement begins. And you see this when people find Jesus, right? They just want to do something. So last night, uh, me and Trace sit on the couch, and I'm watching this video on my phone of this little girl who's been blind her entire life. This is terribly sad. And um, she's been blind, but she has this surgery, and she's given new eyes, which I don't know how that works, but that's amazing. And she's given new eyes, and it's this video where they show her taking off the bandages and seeing for the first time. And she, she can see, and then she starts looking at everything, the walls, the ground, her mom. She just can't stop looking at things because she's been made new, right? It's the same thing. We're full of the Spirit of God. We have to just do something. We have to get in the game. There are needs to meet because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So life and movement begins. So the gifts we're not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but we've been to church before and um, talking about spiritual gifts and you take your test, right, and you're told that you have the gift of encouragement and watching kids, right? That's how it works. Um, I will tell you, the gifts are much more mysterious than we make it in the West. There's not a scantron to fill out that you can figure out how you're wired. But we see a few things. In verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Each person is given gifts. If you have put your faith in Jesus and been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have gifts to use. You're an arm, your shoulder, your knee, your toe, your hamstring, you're something there. You have gifts to serve the common good. You know, assign the Spirit of God at work in your life that you want to do something. I will tell you, if you don't want to do anything at all, nothing at all, if you want to just sit, hey, I don't know why you come to church. That seems like a waste of time to me. But uh, if, you want, if you have no desire for anything at all, two things I would ask you to do. I'd really investigate your salvation. Like, have you truly put your faith in Jesus and been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Second, if that voice of God is so faint, we must seek the Spirit. Repent of our sins and seek the Spirit. Because the sign of the Spirit of God at work in your life is action. It's service of others. Each person is given gifts. Next thing, we see this in verse 11. All these are empowered by one of the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit determines and gives out the gifts as he wills. This should cause great humility in us. Because remember, we have decreased, right? This is not our intellect, our ability, our background, our work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit manifesting gifts in our lives. Humility should drive our gifts. The moment we start, um, I guess, puffing up at our gifts, we are just way off at that point, correct? Way off. Next thing, how to determine your gifts. So if we each have been given gifts, right? We're each given gifts. We have something to do. How do you figure out what you're called to do? What are your gifts? It's a great quote from John Piper. He says this right here. 
I think it would be fair to say also from this text that you shouldn't bend your mind too much trying to label your spiritual gift before you use it. That is, don't worry about whether you can point to prophecy or teaching or wisdom or knowledge or healing or miracles or mercy or ministration and say, that's mine. The way to think is this. The reason we have spiritual gifts is so that we can strengthen other people's faith. Here is someone whose faith is in jeopardy. How can I help him? Then do or say what seems most helpful. And if the person is helped, then you may have discovered one of your gifts. So two things. First, don't worry too much about what gift you may or may not have. We get so caught up, don't we, in like the, the parts that don't matter. <laughs> we get caught up in the how-to and the details. When the point is the spirit empowering these things in your life. So don't get too caught up in these gifts. Second, how have you seen that you have helped others in the past? Just very simply. So um, I'll give you an example, like for me. And I'm, you know, this is, this is how I think I'm wired. Um, if, if I see somebody in distress or crying or sick, I have this innate desire to go and encourage them. For years, that's how I, I have helped people. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit inside of me that has is, that is manifested in my life. And so I have seen that's encouraged others at some point in my life. That has brought me joy that I cannot explain to, to encourage someone in Christ. So that more likely is a spiritual gift of encouragement in my life. And for you in this room, we all have different gifts. Administration, we have some, some speaking gifts, wisdom, faith, prayer. Man, we miss... Uh, is Miss Julie in here? And she and the kids. Miss Julie Duhan, she comes and prays with us. You see this picture of faith in her life. And we're all called to faith, but some people are given this extra measure, this extra level of faith. And that faith, even in Miss Julie's life, it builds me up. It encourages my life just hearing her pray. And that's how the gifts are at work in our lives. So we must do something. You have gifts, don't get hung up on what they are exactly. Find the areas where you help people, where you see a need and you go and meet a need. Maybe it's serving a meal. Maybe it's opening your home. I have no idea what it is, but find a need and meet that need. But the, the, the guardrail, it's easy when we get caught up in, in discovering our gifts, right? And discovering the way that we see the world. What's interesting in a church, you can see a need like... Uh, the hub downtown. There's a need to go serve meals. And you'll have five people from a church look at that need and have five different ways to approach that need, right? And what tends to happen in that scenario is because of the difference in opinion, there's a fight, there's disunity. Instead, that's the, that should be the body of Christ seeing every angle to meet this need. So we must be careful to not get away from unity because the spirit empowers the body to unity. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Listen, it's easy to read these verses and to read Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and just kind of run past that. But that is absolutely miraculous. 
that God would take Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and make them one. And make them one. And I know in our country, even in our church, there are differences on many, many, many things. But here's the deal. When Jesus is Lord, unity happens. When there's people who say Jesus is Lord, everything else falls under the, under, in the right place. Does that make sense? When Jesus is Lord, unity happens. This is the heart of Jesus. John 17, verse 9. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. It's the heart of Jesus crying out to his Father to keep us, his children, as one. And there has been, at least in my, my little history in the world, like I've never seen such division in the world. I have never seen it. At every turn, we're avoiding topics, right? You go to Thanksgiving, you go to the gas station, you don't bring up like five things in the world you can't talk about because it'll cause problems right away. But two things in the church I see that really cause division. The first are backgrounds. Your background, whether you're white whether you're black, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're this, whether you're that, whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, these kind of background type things, I will tell you many times cause division in the church of Jesus Christ. And that is so silly, isn't it? It is so silly because if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, all this stuff is just so secondary. It is so secondary. But I will tell you, it goes back to this right here, how we're empowered by the Spirit, right, as we meditate on the words of God. But the problem is many of people, even in our church, myself sometimes, we're meditating on things of the world that divide us. And the fruit of that is division. It's a lifeless body that has division. So backgrounds divide us. Backgrounds divide us. And secondary issues divide us. Preferences divide us, right? How we do this, how, how I think, how this person thinks. These little things tend to divide us. So how do we walk in unity how do we walk as one when there is diversity? When there is diversity. And I, and I will tell you, I have not given up on, on the church and, I, and covenant church on being a diverse church with all kinds of people. But I will tell you right now in the history of our little, our little community, we're in North Bossier, Benton. Not a very diverse world. In thoughts, in race, in socioeconomic status, it's, it's very, very similar it's not a sinful thing or a wrong thing, but sometimes when that happens, it allows us to kind of remove ourselves from the rest of the world, doesn't it? And it pushes away from this beautiful expression of Jew or Greek or free or slave. Because sometimes I worry the things that unify us, it's our politics. It's where we live. It's our status in the community. 
It is not being the body of Christ. That worries me sometimes, that we drift towards these comfortable things that we know and away from the body of Christ. Hear this, I should tell you. On these secondary issues, I must tell you, people will see things differently than you. You are not the master of whatever thoughts that you have. I will tell all of us to take ourselves way less seriously because we do not know everything. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that someone comes to me, I will tell you, to talk about someone else in our body while I know that person in the body just lost a parent or is going through a sickness or is going through losing their job. Friends, we do not have all the answers. And many times we come to this position that brings disunity to the body because we think we have all the answers. But Paul gives us a great unifier at the end of this chapter and the next chapter. Look at verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. We see all these gifts. Paul saying, pursue these gifts, but I'll show you an even better way. Now we're going to go to a marriage ceremony. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I can have the greatest spiritual gifts in the world, but if they're not operated in love, it's nothing. That's a distraction. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy and boast. Social media, it is not arrogant or rude. Social media, it does not insist on its own way. Social media, it's not irritable or resentful. Social media, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Social media, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in parts. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love love is the marker of a spirit embodied church 
And friends, if there is not love for each other, even in the midst of all of our craziness and all of our baggage, there should be this commonality because Christ first loved me and all of my sin. And all of my sin, how can we not love each other and bear one another through your sins and my sins? That's the beauty of the church. And the world should look at that and think, what in the world is going on there? It's a safe place for unlovely people like me. But many times in the lifeless church, when someone messes up, we gossip, we slander, and we throw them out. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Because we are broken and we are messed up. At least I am. I can't speak for you. But I know that I desperately need your grace. I desperately need your grace. So we see the spirit-empowered body with these markers of action, of unity, of love. What is the purpose of this body? If God is doing this in our lives, What's the purpose? Look at verse 7. It says here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Here's the key thing here. For the common good. Underline that. It's for the common good. Listen, the body exists for the common good. The body exists for the common good. Here's, Here's one of the issues. Many of us we were sold a faith, invited to a faith that it's about us, that it's about the individual. We were sold this right here. I, I read this this way. I thought it was really good. We were told, God will forgive you of your sins and let you into heaven if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. That's a true statement, just so we're clear. It's a true statement, but it's incomplete. That's a faith that is only about you. You can believe that faith, you can come and you can go, but you're never a part of a body of Christ for the common good. Instead, this is what common good faith looks like. It's this invitation. You can participate now in the life of the Trinity. You have to wait for heaven, but today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can join the work of the Trinity, joining with him in what he's doing right now on earth. Through Jesus Christ, life and God's kingdom is available to you now. You can start immediately. That is good news, isn't it? Yes, thank goodness, thank God we are saved from our sins. But even greater is we can do the work now. Through the power of the Spirit, the body of Christ can participate in kingdom work right now. So what is the common good? Let's go to Matthew 5. I'll tell you, I've been in this passage for a few weeks, so it's kind of on my heart and my mind, but I'm preaching, so that's good. Um, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' big sermon right here. He says here, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And here is a picture of God's kingdom right now. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor and spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The common good, God's kingdom, there's the poor in spirit. There's though, there's people that say they have no hope outside of Jesus. That is God's kingdom. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
for the ones who are sinned against, who are mourning their sin, God will comfort them. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is an upside-down kingdom. This is common good work. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's backwards, isn't it? That the meek shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In God's kingdom, those who pursue him and seek him and forsake everything else, they'll be satisfied. They'll taste the living water. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the common good, in God's kingdom, it's a merciful kingdom. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed not, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a picture of God's kingdom here on earth. And the common good is seeing Christ and his ways formed in the life of each other. As we live out our gifts and serve one another, as we meet needs for one another, Christ is formed in us. And that is good news. And as Christ is formed in us, imagine this for a moment. As the common good happens in the life of our church, What will your neighbors think when they see this weird people doing these backwards things? That the the meek, pursuing the things of God, this countercultural life, the common good. It's God's kingdom being formed in us and displayed to the world around us. And here's the thing, is I need you as a brother, as a sister, and you need me as a brother, as a sister, as an arm, as a leg, as an eye, as an ear. We need each other for Christ to be formed in us. And I will tell you, our community that is so divided desperately needs this presence of God, the body of Christ in a place. So we started with the church, right, this idea of what the church is. The church is not some big gathering. The church is this small Presence of God, body of Christ in a place, in a neighborhood. Because when change happens is when we decide to go to our enemy, right? To go to the ones who think different than us and show them the love of God and talk to them and show them what it's like to have this different kind of life. That is the common good. So I've got three next steps for us today. First, seek the Spirit. Seek the Spirit. Meditate, faith, decrease. Find a way in your life to meditate and dwell, dwell your mind on the things of God and be indwelled by His Spirit. Meditate on those things. Second, believe in the works of Jesus and what He accomplished for you on the cross. We sang that song um, about uh, His love for us, and we say at the end of that song, We know it is finished. That's putting faith in the work of Jesus. Third, decrease. Literally surrender your life. Take yourself away from the center and put Jesus at the center of your life and seek spirits. 
Second, check the markers. Check your hearts. Check the role you're playing in the body of Christ. Are you active? Are you active in the body of Christ? Not just showing up, but are you actively encouraging your gifts into the life of other people? Are you active? Second, is there unity? Are you bringing unity to the body? And third, is there love? Do you love your brother and sister in Christ? Are you forgiving sin upon sin in their life? Are you confronting them in their life about sin and love over and over and over? Last step, live for the common good. And for us at this church, uh, that, that means joining a missional community. As great as Sundays are, um, you can't really use your gifts to encourage me as I preach. <laughs> but in my living room, you can use your gifts to encourage me. That uh, our missional communities are like our training wheels for this common good. This is how we're going to attempt to do this. For brothers and sisters in Christ to gather regularly, sharing food, sharing our lives confessing sins, doing all these things to see Christ formed in each other. And listen, this missional community, the hope is that this little family will encourage you, will challenge you in your calling to your neighborhood, to your coworker. Because trust me, your coworker, your neighbor, your family, your friends, they desperately need to see a picture of God's kingdom and God's presence in your life. So I would encourage you today, the way that we as a church do this is through our missional communities. That that is how you're going to be known and, and see Christ formed in you and how you can begin to get in the game and see Christ formed in others. So just think about for a moment what it would look like to not be a lifeless body. So I'll just close our eyes for a moment. spiritual warfare that distracts us and accuses us and divides us is so strong. And I know in my life and I believe in our lives we are too used to a lifeless body. Ask God right now as our eyes are closed as we're talking to God to give you a vision of what a spirit empowered body can look like. Ask God to be real to you in this moment. To renew your spirit. To reveal sin where there's sin in your life. To let today be a day where repentance happens. Where true faith happens. Father, I ask you to speak to us today. We all have backgrounds in this room. We all have uh, failures in this room. We all have sin in this room. But you have come to set the captives free. Lord, I ask you to give us the faith to trust that good news. 
Father, I ask you to give us the conviction and the discipline to truly seek your spirit, not just right now, but tomorrow and Thursday, to let that be the pattern of our lives. Father, I ask for unity for this body. Father, let our little body be marked by love for each other and love for you. Lord, you are good to us. Lord, we need you. Let you receive all the glory from our response today. We probably choose this name. Amen.